City Church, happy Sunday. We are so excited that you are tuning in with us online. It's unfortunate that we cannot meet today in person. We love seeing your smiling faces, but next Sunday we will be back and we cannot wait. So for those of you who do not know me, my name is Lauren Stewart. I am on staff here at City Church and it is actually a huge gift uh, to be on staff here. And so it is an honor to share this space with you this morning and to be able to teach and, and bring the word of God. You're actually standing in a part of a prayer for my heart over the last five years. So you are in the middle of it and I am excited and we are excited that you are here. So since the beginning of the year, we have been walking through 2 Corinthians. So this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And it is uh, the first nine chapters were warm and encouraging, but we're actually about to take a turn here in chapter 10, which was is what we're about to dive into and read. So uh, just so you have a little understanding that in chapter 10, um, Paul is actually talking and to the false apostles. He is, he is talking to the unrepented minority um, in the church in Corinth. And these were the people that were actually trying to actively get others to cast out and deny Paul. So we are walking into 10. This takes a huge turn. Um, his tone changes a little bit and, and let's start. So chapter 10, starting in verse one, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when you're away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing." Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. 
For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I mean, this chapter is rich with so much truth. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't tell you how many times I ripped up my notes trying to figure out what part I, I wanted to go in and talk about, right? So we're just going to, we're going to go in because I think the first most important thing here is exactly what Paul is addressing in the beginning of this chapter. He says in verse one, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I, Paul, appeal to you. Like Paul knew what it was to have the humility and gentleness of Christ touch his heart. Paul knew what it was. In fact, the humility and gentleness of Christ marked every minute of Paul's ministry. And it is so important that we, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, are actually getting what it means when Jesus says, and when Paul is saying here, the humility and gentleness of Christ, because that is who Jesus Christ is. I want to read something from Philippians, which I love. Um, it's, it's one of my most favorite verses. <clears throat> it's in Philippians 2. It starts in uh, verse 6. It says, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to death on a cross cross. In Hebrews, it actually talks about that he shared in our humanity. So he, he put on our flesh and blood. He was with the Father in the beginning. He was made a little lower than the angels. In Genesis, it actually says as God is creating the universe, right? And he is breathing everything into existence. He says, let us create mankind in our image, in our likeness. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You go down a little bit further, and it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus Christ himself said that I came to serve, not to be served. Jesus' entire life was marked by gentleness and humility. When he was there on the cross, that was gentleness and humility displayed for all humanity so he could reconcile us to God the Father. Hebrews actually says that it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And I need you to know before you know anything else today and before we get into anything else today, and the only thing that you need to know is that joy set before him was sitting at the right hand of the Father where everything was going to be reconciled on heaven and earth. But that joy was also you. That joy was you. And he came for you because he loves you and he adores you and he desires you. And it's his gentleness and humility. It is gentleness and humility that changes our hearts, that causes us to go and live on mission for him. I mean, he was born in a manger. He gave up everything. He stepped down from heaven and was confined by time. And he lived his life 
serving others and meeting the needs of others and stopping and listening and speaking and breathing life into dark, dark places. And he did that because of his love and because of his gentleness and because of his humility. But he became obedient to death on a cross. He humbled himself. He took it all on. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing that we can do. Like, it is by grace that we have been saved by Christ. And listen to what he said in Philippians. Like, this is a heart and a mark of Paul's love and obedience to the Father. He said in Philippians 37, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, now, this is Paul's heart, right? Like, this is who he is. His ministry was marked by it. He, he considered everything a loss. And listen to what the false apostles were actually saying about Paul. If we continue in verse 10 too, he says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. I mean, can you believe that they were actually thinking that Paul was living by the standards of this world? I mean, he was so far from living by the standard of the world right? Like he considered the world a loss, everything a loss, and what he was gaining in Christ Jesus. The world is broken and bruised. The world leaves us broken and bruised. There's actually a minute where, a moment where Paul says, like, I know what it means to be content in plenty. I know what it means to be content in need, and his contentment came from Christ and Christ alone. And the world does something completely opposite of that, actually. The world makes us feel really discontent. And we're really, really hungry. And we're really, really thirsty. And we're really, really unsatisfied when we're drinking and we're striving from the world. And actually, what we should be living by and the standard we should be living by is the standard of scripture, is the standard of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And some of us are shaping our life on the standards of the world. We're shaping our body image on the standard of the world. We're shaping the way we're being parents by the standard of the world. We're using our time by the standard of the world. We're looking at our career and politics and whatever it is and we're shaping it by the standard of the world. But everything in every area of our life is actually supposed to be shaped by the standard of scripture. So I want to jump in and go to 10.3 where he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. I mean, what is he talking about here? Like, yes, there is the reality that we live in the world. But Jesus actually says that I have called you out of the world. We're actually told that 
earth is not our home, heaven is our home, that we're actually supposed to be walking out our time here as foreigners. So for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks that the world wages war, right? We have global war, personal war, right? Literally and figuratively. And the war of the world and in our life, it's going to come. I mean, Jesus says that in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And Paul was was not absent to that. He knew that. I mean, there's, there's moments where he was in literal chains for the gospel. I mean, because Paul gave up his whole life for Jesus, there was opposition. And it's going to come and it's going to happen for us. But Jesus tells us that to take heart because he has overcome the world. And I love this. He says, for though... Um, in 10.4, he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Okay, so what weapons is Paul talking about? I mean, how was Paul able to confidently walk out this ministry that he was called to? And might I just say that his ministry and what he's defending here is actually his entire life. Like, there was nothing separate from that. So his ministry was his whole life. Jesus Christ was his whole life. And so scholars actually believe that when Paul was writing this letter, that he was staying um, in Ephesus. And so we're actually going to hop over to Ephesians. We're going to go into Ephesians 6 and listen to what it says here. Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Pull on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel Take up the shield of faith, which can allow you to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like we have to, and Jesus tells us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And so part of that is daily. It is minute by minute denying ourselves and putting on the full armor of God. Denying ourselves and putting on what God says to be true. Putting on our helmet of salvation, putting on that breastplate of righteousness. And the only reason that we are called righteous is because of him and because of his righteousness, right? Like picking up that sword of the spirit, the word of truth, speaking life into those really hard moments, speaking life into the wars of the world that are going to come at us. And let's see what else Paul was saying here. He said, On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Like, God's word can demolish strongholds. There is nothing in this world, there is nothing in this world that is going to satisfy you, and there is nothing in this world that's going to be able to demolish strongholds. 
Only God and only his word can do that. And then it says in 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I want to read this again. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. Every single thought. In Philippians, I keep going there and I don't know what it is. It was like this entire thing. It's like, oh, Philippians, Philippians, Philippians. I love that there is no part in any of Paul's letters where he's not saying the same thing in other letters. Like it, it always matches up. He really is who he says he is. And everything that he says he is is because of Jesus Christ and because he knows the power of Jesus and who Jesus is in his life. But look what he says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is love, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But friends, we're not going to be able to take every thought captive and fill it with the truth of God if we don't know the words of God. We need to know the words of God. I was thinking a lot about this and I don't know when the good things of God became a burden. For some reason, the good things of God to us have become a burden. And one of those good things of God is being in the scripture. And one of those really good things of God is living in community. And one of those really good things of God is serving one another and loving one another. But most importantly, it's loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. And I don't know when the good things of God became a burden and when the things of the world started getting really, really comfortable. Jesus tells his disciples, and I love this, I, I love this. In John chapter 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Like his father's house has many rooms for you. Like, he's coming back for you. And he made room for you. He made a room all the way to the cross. Through his resurrection, he made a way. The veil has been torn. We get to confidently step in to the throne room and go to God the Father. And he's coming back for you. He's coming back for you. And you actually have the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a promise, guaranteeing your inheritance. Your inheritance is the kingdom of God. And he's coming back from you. He made a way for you. He made room for you. And now my question for you today is, are you making room for God? Are you making room for him to shape every understanding of your life? Or is it the world? Every day, every minute, every moment of your life, are you choosing to put on the armor of God and your helmet of salvation 
Are you taking up your shield daily? Jesus says that whoever's going to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You have to count the cost. And it's your whole life. It's not part of it. It's your whole heart. It's your whole being. It's not part of it. He made room for you. And are you making room for him? Because you're not going to be able to put on the armor and you're not going to be able to take the thoughts captive if you're not making room to spend time with him. And again, it goes back. When did the good things of God become a burden to you? Because we're called to be in scripture. It is God breathed. I mean, it says in Hebrews that when he went to the cross, like scripture was completed. This was fulfilled. This is a love letter to you. All of the answers and everything that you're feeling and the things that you're up against right now, whatever it may be, it is all here and it will heal every single part of you. And when did it become a burden? It's a privilege. It is a privilege to sit in the presence of God. And as we sit in the presence of God each day, we make room for him each day. We allow him to shape each area of our life each day. We're able to put on the armor. We're able to take our thoughts captive. We're able to think of those things that are pure, those things that are lovely, those things that are praiseworthy. And we're able to continue to run the race that's marked out for us. How exciting is that? That this is the race we get to run. Like with our eyes fixed on the cross, we get to run. We get to run this race. And there's nothing more beautiful than that. All right, so let, let's finish up here. I mean, I could literally go on forever. I want to go on forever. Um, so as we keep going, we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience. Once your obedience is complete, you are judging by appearances. I want you to say, and I want to say, we live in a world that is judging by appearances. Um, and honestly, when I got to verse seven, I got to line seven, I was really thinking of myself and how I can quickly judge my own appearance. And I want to use this as a really quick example that m most of my life, I have really, really struggled with self-esteem. And God actually tells us that where the world looks at the outward appearance, that he looks at the heart. But for my whole life, I was trying to measure up to the standard of the world and what it said about how I needed to look outwardly. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, I'm supposed to take every thought captive. So every time I want to look at myself and I want to judge myself and I'm created in his image, I have to remember that. So rather than I'm worthless and I don't look like that person over here, I don't look like what the world is telling me I should look like, I have to take that thought captive and I have to remember that I'm a child of God. I have to remember that he created me in the womb of my mother, that he knows every number of hair on my head, that he calls his creation good and that we are a part of that. And he went for us. He went to the cross for us and we are good and our appearance is good no matter what we look like. So not only do we need to be mindful of how we are judging others by their appearance, but we also need to be mindful about how we are looking and perceiving ourselves because that is important too. And then if we go down really quickly um, to 10, 10, he says his letters, 
this is what people are saying about him, right? His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive. He's speaking amounts to nothing. I mean, they were speaking really, really harsh things to Paul. I mean, they said he's living by the standards of the world. Look at these really awful things they are saying to him now. But do you know what I love? Like he is still in this place preaching to them. Like he is still in this place loving them really well by the gentleness and humility of Jesus Christ. He's still here and he's still pleading with them and he's still defending what it is that God has given him authority to do. And then it says in 1011, such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Like who we are in our letters, we're also going to be when we see you and when we talk to you. And sometimes some of us forget that our whole life is for Christ and we like to take it off, whether we like to take it off when we're at work, whether we like to take it off when we're with certain friend groups, whatever that looks like, like we are called to be a believer and we are called to be who we are in every circumstance and who we are are Christ followers. So now we're going to go to 10, 13. He said, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. The sphere of service God has assigned. God has called us all to a sphere of service. And that sphere of service is even the church that we call home. That sphere of service is even serving the body of believers. And you know what? That may be in kids. And you know what? That may be on host team. Like wherever it is, that sphere of service that he has called you to is also the church, but it's your family, it's your coworkers, it's your neighbor. And Paul knew this. And because he was marked by the humility and gentleness of Jesus Christ, Paul carried his mission and had a desire to spread the gospel. He had such a deep desire to do that. And in fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. And he knew that. And he was living that with his entire life. And we are actually called to live that with our entire life and our sphere of influence, despite the circumstances. And I would ask you that in your sphere of influence, are you allowing the standard of the world to shape that situation? Or are you allowing the spirit to speak through you in your sphere of influence? And then he says, our hope is that in 1015, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Like Paul absolutely knew that the reason that you are speaking the way that you're speaking to me is because there is a lack in your faith and you need to continue to grow in your faith. And we have to continue to practice these things and we have to continue to make room for Jesus. And then we're going to drop down to 1017. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And then 10:18, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Like, the Lord commends you. Like, you are approved by him. And you don't need the approval of man. You don't need the approval of anything. You don't need the approval by the standard of the world. Like, you have a standing ovation from your father. And he deeply desires you. And he deeply approves you. Like there is no one that he loves more. And that love, that loves, that love draws us to him. That love brings us to our knees. Like we can't help but want to spend time with a father who deeply desires to spend time with us. Like every morning when you wake up, his arms are open. 
as you go throughout your day, his arms are open because he commends you, because he approves of you, because he loves you. And so we have to make room, friends. We have to make room for that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you have made a room for us. Thank you so much, Father, that your gentleness and humility was displayed on the cross. Thank you so much, Jesus, for the way that you affirm us, for the way that you confirm us, for the way that you have reconciled us. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to put on your armor, that we get to deny ourselves and put on our salvation, that we get to put on your righteousness, that we get to, to take up the sword of the Spirit, that we get to run in and do your, your will, Father God, and your peace. And we are thankful for that, Lord. We are thankful for your words that demolish strongholds. We are thankful for your words that can take and hold our thoughts captive, Father. And I pray that as we go through this week, that we would take every thought captive, Lord, that we would submit them to you. And Jesus, that you would open up our eyes and help us to see how deeply you love us, how deeply you adore us, and just allow the gentleness and humility to touch the places that we need it and allow us to be gentle and humble to others. It's in your great name we pray, Father.